0: Well, it's a joy for me to introduce, again, uh, John Glass, who I think has spoken at least twice here in the past. John and Meg are with us. John is a missionary in um, Geneva, Switzerland. He served in France and in Switzerland as a missionary for over 30 years and has, uh, in the last 22 years, been in Geneva where, get this, he's helped start six churches over 22 years. And in Europe, that is really resistant to gospel influence. The influence of those churches have affected 850 souls who are now being cared for in those churches, six churches. Anytime I hear people say, well, Europe is post-Christian and sailed on from the gospel, I think of my friend John Glass who would have a serious argument against that. He's pastor of an international speaking church, uh, inter- well, it's French speaking, but international church in Geneva, Switzerland, where, get this, there are over 40 languages spoken in his church. And I hope they all speak some of some French, right? Hopefully, they have to. That's the formal stuff. Informally, I just want to tell you, I have grown to love John, I have preached, I don't know, multiple times in your church. I was able to, it's hard to believe that you've been at this 11 plus years in your church. I was there for the fifth anniversary and uh, I'm just humbled to be able to be John's friend. I'm humbled that he's a part of our Mission Road family. Um, He and Meg are dear, dear people to us. Without going into any detail, uh, it was several years ago that my wife and I were in a very difficult place in our lives and ministry. And as God's providence would have it, uh, he had us travel through Geneva and we sat on the couch with with John and Meg. And I can only tell you that my life was forever changed by that conversation and how he shepherded Kim and me and cared for another pastor. He's not only a pastor to people, he's a pastor's pastor. He's not only a missionary, he's an evangelist to anyone who will stand still long enough to hear him give the gospel. He's a dear friend. I could introduce him for the rest of the hour, but I think you would rather hear him preach. Let's give a Mission Road Bible Church welcome to John Glass. Dr. John Glass.
1: (laughs) Well... Allez, je commence comme d'habitude en français, n'est-ce pas? Je parle français. Qui parle français? Levez la main. Wow, je vois toute une rangée, d'accord? Oui, encore des mains. Wow, we got some French speakers in Kansas. Yeah, this is cool. Hey, thank you so, so much. We are so honored to be here. And I think I'm speaking in the name of all the missionaries. I mean, you've been an incredible encouragement to us. I got cultures just thinking about it right now. Um, by the way, who just sang the song? Dan, you just ministered to our soul. Who are you, Dan? Man. I mean, you you don't know the words. I don't listen to words. I'm a drummer, okay? I don't always listen to words, but today it's like, whammo, you just got me, man. It's like I really, really, you just preached to me. Thank you so much, brother. But anyway... The church has been so generous, so kind to us over all these years. Thank you. And, uh, and Rick, you know, you don't know, but you have been the same to me as I have been to you. Um, we have gone through our crises in our lives, and every time we've got an issue or something we don't know, I call Rick up. And I say, Rick, I need your help, I need your counsel. What would you do in this situation? So you guys have been friends to us, we've been friends to you, so we're still in this together, isn't that right? So thank you, and it's a real honor in the name of all the missionaries to be here for your first missions conference, and what an honor and privilege it is to open the Word of God. So with that, I would like to invite you to take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 20. And uh, someone already told me earlier, said, wow, when I saw the schedule and I saw that you're going to be preaching on Matthew 20, I thought, this is a very unique missions text. Well, yes, it is. It's a very unique missions text, and I would like to go ahead and read it and then tell you why I have chosen this and then work through it. So we're in Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 1. Verse 1, the parable of the workers, an incredible story. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you too go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give to you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you too go into the vineyard. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, and they also received each one a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat of the day. And he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Thus, the last shall be first, and the first last. May God bless his word this morning. Well, this morning, indeed, I would like to speak to you on one of my very favorite subjects. The grace of God. This parable is incredible. You say, why have I chosen it? Well, I could say because I, firstly, it's, it's kind of the weaker reason, but I'm a really emotional guy. And this is a very emotional parable. You're gonna see in just a minute. It makes my heart pound with admiration and awe before God as we consider what it is teaching us. And my hope is that I can communicate to you this morning in the time we have just a bit of what I have felt and still feel. But why am I using it in a missionary conference? Well, because this parable answers a very important question. And here it is. Why are missionaries missionaries? Why would a missionary leave his country, be sent overseas, endure sacrifices of whatever that life overseas requires? Why would a person give his life for this? We've been over there for 33 years as missionaries. Why? What makes a missionary tick? Well, this parable actually gives us the answer. This, this is going to the root, to the core reason as to why we do what we do. It's because we will see that it's about the grace of God that we distribute to people, that we give to people as Christ works in their hearts. Now, the problem with this parable is that it's very disturbing because after a preliminary, pre, 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 that was a hard one—preliminary reading, our reaction is simply to say, "Not fair." What happens in this parable doesn't at first seem right or just or reasonable. It's there's something about it that doesn't sit right. Well, if your reaction after reading this parable and hearing about it today, if your reaction is that reaction of uncomfort, that is exactly where the Lord wants you and me to be. Because that is the feeling we should have when we ponder what the parable is teaching about the amazing and marvelous grace of God in our lives and in the lives of others. Because my friend, when you grasp the true nature of the grace of God, you will be overwhelmed by its abundance, by its magnitude, by its enormity, that you will almost consider it overwhelming. Because what we are going to see is that the grace of God is not fair in human terms. No, Grace is not fair. Grace is nothing but mercy, benevolence, kindness. It is nothing but pure and undeserved blessing from the gracious, loving hand of God. Okay, so what is grace? What's grace? Here it is. Good definition. The freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. It is simply receiving from God what we do not deserve, and what do we do not deserve, we do not deserve the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life, that we do not deserve. Because the wages of sin is death. So why do we get eternal life? Why do we get forgiveness? That's the question. and that is grace. So I'd like to study our study in three parts. Number one, the parable. Number two, the purpose. And number three, the principles. Okay, so let's look at the parable. It's a really neat parable. Verse one, the kingdom for the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, that's really important. Because this parable describes a specific aspect of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Of God's rule here on earth. And specifically, we're going to see this in just a minute about God's grace and salvation. So he's describing something about the kingdom of God. That's the point. For the kingdom of heaven, verse 1, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So it's a simple parable. A rich landowner or house ruler, literally, owns a vineyard. And um, like in France, you see this all around France, there's vineyards, and someone owns these vineyards. And grape harvest time has come, probably the month of September, around there, and um, Most landowners did not have enough full-time help to harvest their fields during harvest time, so they have to find temporary help. And the place to find this temporary help was at the town square, which is usually also the marketplace. And many countries still have this practice. We were in LA last week and you see guys on the side of the street waiting to be hired for the day. This is pretty common practice everywhere. So in verse 1, we find out that the landowner went out early in the morning to hire laborers to harvest his grapes. It's the crack of dawn, the first hour, it is 6 a.m. The Jewish day started at 6 a.m., ended at 6 p.m., a full 12-hour day. So this landowner goes to the village square at 6 a.m. and hires laborers. Verse 2. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. So a discussion Regarding wages apparently takes place because they agreed, it says, at what the wage was to be. One denarius was agreed upon. Now, folks, that's really important because that was very fair pay. See, that was actually the daily wage of a Roman soldier. But these people were unskilled laborers. They're going to go in the vineyards and pick grapes. So they're being promised the salary of a Roman soldier for a day in the vineyards. So they probably thought, wow, this is a sweet deal today. They were happy to have been hired for the day, rejoicing in the pay. And so they take off to the vineyard going, yes, great day. 12 hours for one denarius, good deal. Verse 3, and when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, to those he said, you too go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give to you. Okay, this is three hours later, 9 a.m., the landowner goes back to the marketplace. And he says he happens to see others standing idle in the marketplace. They're waiting, waiting to be hired. So what does he do? He hires them. Verse 4 tells us that he says to them, you two go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So apparently this uh, vineyard is well-known in town. He's trusted, he's honest. He had a really good reputation. We don't know how much he offers them at this point in the parable. They said, oh, cool. And so, boom, they accept the job, and they go to work with a big smile on their face. They've just been hired as of 9 a.m. So they have a nine-hour day ahead of them. Verse 5. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour, and he did the same thing. Repeat situation. The, lander go, the landowner goes out again to the marketplace. This time, it's the sixth hour, which is high noon. That's when the sun is the hottest. And the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. So he's out there in the marketplace. What does he see? Guys, workers waiting there just to be hired again. So he hires them, just like the previous guys. He does the same thing, says verse 5. He tells them to go into the vineyard. They agree upon a wage. They go. They're real happy. Some guys are going in for a six-hour day. Other guys are going for a three-hour day. Verse 6. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you too go into the vineyard. So it's the 11th hour. Folks, this is now 5 p.m. The landowner is again in the village square. And guess what he sees? Guys still standing out there waiting to get hired. And he says, why are you working? And the answer: because no one hired us. So what does he do? He hires them on the spot. And he sends them into the vineyard to pick grapes. Rightful pay is no doubt promised them for the work they were about to do. So these guys are going, yeah, sweet. They, they, I don't know how long it took to go to the vineyard. Probably a few minutes. Maybe 10 minutes. They work like 45 minutes and then come back. It's like a 45 minute day. But they got hired. Well, there's a story, ladies and gentlemen. That's a story. The landowner hires five successive waves of workers at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. and sends them off to the vineyard to work. That brings us to verse 8. We are now at the end of the day. It is 6 p.m. It is pay time. Okay, let me ask you, ladies and gentlemen, and be honest with you, who likes pay time? Raise your hand. I- no, wait a minute. Who likes pay time? Raise your hand. Yes, don't, be, don't feel bad about that. It's okay to like pay time. I love pay time. I do. In fact, you know why? Because Jesus said it's okay to love pay time. He says in Luke ten seven, a laborer is worthy of his wage. It's fine to get paid and to be happy about it. So at 6 p.m., These men are tired, filthy, hungry, maybe grumpy, and they cannot wait to get their money and go home. So verse 8 says, And when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. So this is where the story gets a little weird. Please notice something very unusual in the instructions regarding the manner of payment. The landowner asked the foreman to do two Weird and odd things. Number one, in verse eight, the landowner asked the steward to pay the last hired workers first. The very specific. Beginning with the last group to the first, says verse eight. So he asked them to pay the last worker hired first and the first workers hired last. Now, I, live, I work in Switzerland. We are very logical in Switzerland. This is not logical, Okay. I don't know about you guys, I would have done it the opposite. I would have said, hey, you work 12 hours, you get in the beginning of the line, and the last guy at the back. No, he does it the opposite. The guy who worked one hour was in the front of the line and all the way down, and the last guy was the guy who worked 12 hours. That's a little different. Number two, two, st- second strange thing. With regards to the amount pay to each worker. Verse 9, and when those who were hired about the 11th hour came, they each received a denarius. Okay, so the workers who had been hired at 5 p.m., who had worked one hour without even a sweat bead coming down their forehead, each receive one denarius. Imagine being that guy. You've just worked one hour, hardly any sweat coming down, and whammo, one denarius, an entire day's pay for one hour's work, right there in your hand. What's your reaction? This is your reaction. Yes, that's your reaction. You are absolutely thrilled. Folks, this is every man's dream. Little work, big pay. Amen or amen? amen. Okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> That's just kind of a funny parable, you know? So now let me ask you this. What do you think the guy at the back of the line was thinking? Because as soon as that happened, this guy worked one hour, gets a whole day's wage. People start talking. Oh, man, all the way down the line. And there's the back of the line, the guy who had worked 12 hours. He's thinking, whoa. That guy just got a denarius? I worked 12 hours? Verse 10. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. See, they thought, hey, let's do the math. The guy worked one hour, got one denarius. I worked 12 hours. I'm going to get 12 denarii. This is like the best day of my life. I worked 12 hours, I get two weeks' salary. That's what he thinks. That's what he thinks. But then suddenly all the eyes are gazing on the foreman and he starts paying all these guys one by one and slowly the composure of these guys that were so excited about what they thought they would get changes. Because they quickly realized that they, would be, they were getting paid exactly the same. Every worker was getting paid exactly one denarii. Verse, denarius verse 10. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. And they also each received one denarius. Everybody got paid exactly the same amount. Okay, let's stop right there. Let me ask you a question. Be honest. How are you feeling about this? Do you feel that is fair? Are you uncomfortable? Is this fair or is this not fair? (sighs) Are you feeling kind of weirded out by this? Good! That's where you're supposed to be. That's the point of the parable, okay? We're supposed to feel uncomfortable here. Well, if you're struggling with this, you're not alone. Verse 10. And, well, this. I just read verse 10, verse 11, and when they received it, these guys at the back of the line who thought they would get more, they grumbled at the landowner. Saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Hey, frankly, folks, I understand. I understand their reaction. Humanly speaking, I would have felt exactly the way they did. It seems totally unfair and unjust. And what they say is true. They'd worked 12 hours while the guy... The hired last only worked one hour. They bore the burden of the day, the 12-hour day working in the fields. They bore the oppressive mid pounding, burning, scorching, blazing sun, and blistering heat, while the others at 5 p.m. kind of like worked in the breeze of the evening. And they all get the same pay? Does that seem honest, and does that seem fair? Well, no. So they grumble, and they murmur, and they gripe, and they complain. Why? Not because the owner paid the last hired one's oh, Daenerys, each, but because they did not get more. They thought that they should get more. It's an issue of expectations. How could they be paid the same amount when they work so much more? How, how do we get paid so, much, paid so much less when we work so much more? And the key there is, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Total equality for all. So I get their reaction. And if you're troubled, then you're getting to get the parable. So let's see the landowners answer in verse 13. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? See, now we're really getting to the heart of the story. You see, the, the landowner says in verse 13 that he has done no wrong. That's really important. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. And in 15, he says, it is, is it not lawful to me for, to do what I wish with what I own? Is your eye envious because I am generous? See, what we're learning here is that the master is actually good. He's a good master. And he has a right to pay his workers the same amount. Of course he does. Was he unfair to pay the first worker one denarius? No, that was very generous. That was the price or the pay of a soldier. Was the landowner unfair to pay the first worker hired one denarius? No, as I said, that was completely fair. Was it wrong for him to pay the last worker one denarius? No, that was super generous. See, he was generous to all. To the 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12, 3, and 5 p.m., he was over generous to all. Not over generous, just generous. See, he was good. The problem was the attitude. There I was envious. So that's the parable, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. So then you go, but wait a minute. What's the purpose of this parable? Point two. Verse 16. Thus the last shall be first and the first last. Huh. That's interesting. Some Bibles add the phrase, for many are called, but few are chosen at the end of verse 16, but they do not appear in the better manuscripts. That phrase seems to have been borrowed and inserted here from Matthew twenty-two fourteen. 14. So what does that mean? The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Well, it's pretty simple. Equality, right? It's talking about equality. So this parable apparently is talking about equality. Verse 1, in the kingdom of heaven. That's the context. At the end, the first and the last are and end the same. They cross the line at the same time. They call this a dead heat race. All the laborers, whether hired early or late, receive one denarius. There's total equality in the kingdom of God. You go, okay, but let's get more specific. Okay, this is where you got to think context, okay? They didn't have verses when they first had the Bible. This is all new. We got to go back, back. Look at chapter 19, verse 30. But many who were first, will be last, and the last shall be first. Exactly the same verse, but in verse, than in verse 16. Actually, it had been placed as verse 1. But let's go further back in the text to understand what this equality is about. Look at verse 29. Jesus says to his disciples and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit what? Eternal life. That's the key, folks. That's the key right there. Eternal life. Do you remember the context just before this? It's the story of the young rich ruler. The young rich ruler, Matthew 19, 16 to 26. Do you remember the story? This young rich ruler comes to Jesus and asks the point. He says this in verse 16. What good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? See, this man knows he does not have eternal life. He is troubled by it, despite his impeccable moral life. And Jesus tells him. He's a sinner. Jesus explains to him about eternal life. He says in verse 17, if you want to enter life. In verse 21, if you want to be perfect, you shall have treasures in heaven. In in, in verse 23, surely I tell you, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, it is easier for a camel, etc. Kingdom of God. Verse 25, who then can be saved? The whole chapter 19 is about salvation and eternal life. That's the context of this parable. The final destiny of all believers... And right after the rich man walks away, having rejected the way of salvation, which required repentance and following Christ in verse 21, Peter then says in verse 27, Peter answered and said, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will be there for us? What's our reward, he says. And Jesus said to them, I truly, I say to you that you have followed me in this generation when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or father, for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life, but many who are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You see, Peter basically says that they, the disciples, had done everything that the rich young ruler had refused to do. They had believed in Christ, they had followed Christ, they had sacrificed for Christ, and they say, So what is it for us? And Jesus says it plainly, if you have followed Christ, if you have repented, given your life to Christ, even if there's major sacrifice, you will be rewarded by heaven. So here's the lesson. No matter what the sacrifice will have been to follow Jesus Christ, eternal life is promised to everyone. Who follows Christ? You see, whether you were hired at the beginning of the day and worked all day, served the master long and tedious hours, or whether you were hired at the end of the day and only worked one hour in the coolness of the evening breeze, the final destiny is equal for all. The pay is the same. Believers receive eternal life. Folks, when you share Christ with someone, that's exactly what you tell them. You say, you know what? I, let me tell you this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what you tell people. Whatever their age, whatever their color, whatever their social status, you tell them that. Because it's true, Ephesians 1. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. Folks, this is the point of the parable everybody gets heaven when they come to Christ. Now you go, wait, wait, John, wait a minute. Did it need all of those verses just to say that? I mean, John 3.16 has the economy of words. It says the same thing. Why this parable? Ah, third point, the principles. And folks, this is where I hope our hearts start melting understanding the incredible implications of the grace of God. I hope this will blow your mind the way it blew my mind and blows my mind. Number one, first principle. See, the grace of God shines when you consider the differing lengths of service people have for the Lord. See, it's interesting, in this parable, some people work 12 hours, some 9, some 6, some 3, some 1. But they all got the same pay, 1 denarius. Well, as I said, the same is true with eternal life. All believers, no matter how long they believe, receive eternal life. They receive heaven. Go with me to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Let me show you something really cool. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. We have this amazing story of Enoch. 521, and they, I'm sorry, I'm the wrong book. 521, and Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So as you know, prior to the flood, people lived very long lives. Enoch was no exception. He walked with God, it says, 300 years. And after he walked with God 300 years, it says that God took him. Well, when God took Elijah, in the same way, it says in 2 Kings 2.11, that God took him by a whirlwind to heaven. So what is the final destiny, or what was the final destiny of Enoch? Heaven. As of Elijah, correct? Okay. Go with me to Luke Chapter 23. This is a familiar story. The familiar story of the thief on the cross. And so there's a Jesus is crucified. Two thieves one on each side of him. And in verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But other, the other answered and rebuked him and said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence and condemnation? If we, if, we indeed, if we indeed justly for, we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Folks, this guy on the cross believed maybe less than one hour. He he. he He embraced Jesus Christ hanging right next to him as his Lord and Savior died and went straight to heaven, Jesus said. Isn't it amazing to think that a person who comes to Christ one hour before dying will spend eternity in joyful heavenly bliss just as much as someone who walked with God for 300 years? Enoch knew God and walked with him for 300 years, the thief on the cross, one hour, and they both get the same heaven. Folks, I ask you this question. Is that fair? No. No. That is grace. When my grandfather got really old, I had the privilege of leading my grandmother to Christ when I first became a believer. But my grandfather, man, he was just resistant. He didn't want to hear anything. So he was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was back in Europe. And one day we got that call. He died. And I thought, ah. Well, then the nurse called. She said, John, I want to tell you what happened with your grandfather. I said, what happened? He said, well, he was in his deathbed in the hospital. Then about two o'clock in the morning, he he opened his eyes. And with every remaining bit of strength he had, he got himself up, sat up in the bed. And then he stretched his arms out. And he said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. And he fell back down and he died. I was like speechless. And I thought to myself, "Mean my grandfather, who was in his 80s, I think, who had resisted Christ his whole life, I mean, one minute before dying, embraces Christ, dies, and ends up right next to Enoch, who for 300 years... Walked with God. Is that fair? Uh uh-uh. Oh no, that is not fair at all. That is grace that God shed on my grandfather. And that God has shed on each and every one of us, folks. That is incredible. Now I think of me, I was 19 years old, a hippie, you know the story. Went out to India, backpacking, smoking dope, doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. I was probably the third or sixth hour guy, labor. And God found me and gave me grace, gave me Christ right there in New Delhi, India at 19 after I'd rebelled against him for 19 years and he gave me eternal life. Is that fair? No, that is grace. That is pure and total grace. I deserved hell and nothing else. And you too. See, this is what motivates missionaries. I mean, to think that I can talk to anybody. In fact, the other day, I was having breakfast in L.A., all by myself. Just kind of one of those weird moments. I was by myself, so I went out to Mimi's Cafe, okay? And I sat down there, and I was at the bar, eating by myself, and there was a guy next to me, by himself also, an engineer, so we started talking, he was Catholic, and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah, I go, does your Catholic priest tell you about heaven? He said, what? So yeah, does he ever talk about heaven? He goes, no. I said, no, I said, no. I said, no, not really. So guess what I did? <laughs> I told him about heaven. And I said, how cool is this? I mean, it's like you got three minutes with a guy, right? And I could just like, I just dropped John three sixteen. 16, my testimony he got up and he left. It could have changed his life, I have no idea see the power of grace it is unbelievable second principle second principle we see here the grace of god shines forth secondly when you consider the differing sacrifices christians have to make to follow christ go back to the parable okay think about this parable it's an interesting really parable some workers got hired at 6 you've been in israel if you've been in israel you know it gets really hot for 12 hours in the fields I mean, after, you know, you're on your air-conditioned tour bus with Wi-Fi and stuff, you go out there and you walk around for an hour. You go, oh, it's so hot, you know. And you go back in and you get your Coke and all that. Whoa, it's just unbearable. No, these guys didn't have those Wi-Fi air-conditioned buses, okay. I mean, it was brutal stuff. They were... No ice-cold Cokes waiting for them in nearby coolers. No giant gulpers with chipped ice. Actually, today it's even cooler. You know, they work, and they got these backpacks with water with a tube. You know? So, I mean, it's nice today, you know? You can put anything you want in there. In those days, it was hot water. That was it. Hot water. Maybe a little cool. But that was hard work, monotonous. Cutting heavy grapes, carrying them. You see, this illustrates an important truth. Remember what the parable is about, the kingdom of heaven, salvation. What he's saying is that some Christians come to Christ and they have really hard lives. Muslims who come to Christ often pay a very high price. To follow Christ, they must give up parents and brothers and sisters and wives and husbands and children and houses and lands and money and professions. This is what Peter was saying just before. For some, following Jesus Christ cost them everything. Jobs, families, money, everything. Their lives. We've seen it over the last few years. Christians having their heads cut off live. We've seen that. I didn't actually watch that stuff, but it's just unbelievable what people have had to go through. Today still. Hebrews 13, is, or 11, is always a sobering reminder for me. I mean, it's, it's Old Testament-based, but kind of compact sacrifice involved for following the Lord. Hebrews eleven thirty five, 35, remember this? Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. Man, every time I read that one, I'm going... Ah, that's like gross. Sawn in two, alive. That was, that's a really hard one to me. They were tempted, they were put to death, with the sword they were about, sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. You know, if you come to France, there's a place, um, there's a museum in the center of France. It's called the Musée du Désert. And um, it's a reformation museum. This museum is very troubling because it traces the history of the Huguenot persecutions in France in the early 18th century. It's a period called the desert where thousands of Huguenots, Christians, had to flee France because they were being persecuted. And they had to go hide in the areas of the desert in France and flee. And many of them came to Geneva, where John Calvin was. And this is why Geneva became really the bastion of Protestant faith. It was a free country. Some of the violence, most violent persecutions happened in 1702 to 1704 in this area. But the camisards Louis XIV, had an army called the Dragons. And their job was to go hunt out Christians, make them recant. And they could do anything they wanted to to make you recant. They would burn Bibles, torture them, until they recant or died. Thousands were sent to the galleys. Many thousands fled France, as I just said. You can read books, uh, Fox's Book of Martyr about this, but it'll make you nauseous, it's really gross. Pastors got the worst kind of torture, the wheel. They had a big wheel, and they put it on a platform on a stage like this, big platform, and they would strap the pastor on his back on this wheel. And then the, uh, the um, executioner had a metal bar And he would take that metal bar and he would start with the feet and he would smash the feet and the bones. And the idea was to start smashing every bone in that body, starting with the feet, the legs, the legs, and then hit the fingers and start hitting, just smashing, 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 smashing torso, smashing the entire body, making sure not to kill him. And just let him rot up there until he died. The wives of pastors were sent to the famous Tour de Constance. to prison. We've been in there. Walls about the size of your stage. Massive place. Most famous prisoner was Marie Durand. Lady, 38 years imprisoned in that place. Every week, the priest would come and say, do you want to recant? You can walk out free. She said no. In fact, there's a stone, you can see it, where she engraved, résister, resist. 38 years. Children were then sent to monasteries for brainwashing in the Catholic faith. If you come to my office in Geneva, Rick and Kim have been in it, you'll see a picture of Meg, my beautiful wife, and right next to it, a picture of the prison. And the reason I have those two pictures there is to remind me that if I had been alive in 1702 in France, and I'd been caught and she'd been caught, I would have gotten the wheel and she would be in the Tour de Constance until she recanted, and I know her, she won't and our kids would've been sent out in some monastery. And I think to myself, man, some people have suffered so much for the gospel. Those are the 12 hour laborers, you see, ladies and gentlemen, they suffered enormously. And then I think to myself, but wait a minute, not everyone suffers like that. In fact, some people have an easy life. Others who know Christ absolutely authentically, those who know they have eternal life, They have to sacrifice very little. They are born in free and prosperous nations. They have great jobs, they accumulate wealth. They purchase homes and cars and motorcycles and boats and they have good health and live in countries that have complete religious liberty. They can teach and they can preach and they can evangelize freely. They can dream Christian dreams. They can open Christian schools and universities and seminaries. They can own Bibles and write Christian books and diffuse anything. They have cool websites with all their sermons on there and video and radio and TV programs. Folks, if for some people the Christian life in a way is kind of easy. It is. It's just the way it is. And you know what? This is the thing that kills me. You see, some people came in the 11th hour and they just like just breezed into the kingdom of heaven. They got the denarius. Other people for 12 long hours. This is the whole point here. And folks, you know what? Those who have had it so easy, like me, I have never shed one drop of blood for the gospel, not even a nosebleed. Oh, I've been insulted, I've been told all sorts of, never physically, and you know what? Those who have had such an easy Christian life get the same heaven, the same heaven as the pastor who got the wheel and as Marie Durand who spent 38 years in prison And I think to myself, is that fair? Is that fair that I would receive the same heaven as them? No. That is grace. The pure grace of God that would allow me to have the same heaven as those who suffered so much for the gospel. And so I can be in Switzerland with so many wealthy people and tell them, you know what? Christ will give you heaven if you repent and embrace him. <laughs> That's a mind blower. That leads to the last final point very short. The grace of God shines finally in this parable when you consider God's incredible patience toward wayward believers. This is kind of for us, okay? This will make you uncomfortable. See, when pay time came, those workers hired first who had to work all day had a real attitude problem. Unfair, they cried out. How can this be? We work so much harder. You know what the most amazing thing is about this here? Despite their Complaining and grumbling, they got their denarius as well. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? See, God gives eternal life to all those who have worked in his vineyard. Even those whose attitudes sometimes stink. God gives heaven to believers and sometimes believers struggle. Remember Peter, he did deny Jesus three times. That's kind of a struggle. King David, he kind of blew it big time. Then God allowed him to write the Psalms. Hello. Folks, the grace of God, despite our sin, is incredible. Folks, I deserve hell, nothing else. And you do too. Because the wages of sin is death. But that same God offered a way to be redeemed. His son, his son, Jesus Christ, who took my sin on him, gave me his righteousness. And he says, hey, just trust me. Let me be your Lord and Savior. And you can't even fathom what I'm going to do with your life. Even when we blow it, when we sin, when we mess up, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I think to myself, is that fair? I mean, some people walk holy lives. Others, you just feel like they're always struggling and falling into stuff, and you go, what's going on? The grace of God is incredible. It's just so vast. So vast. Is that fair? No. I think you know the answer it is grace. So, four final thoughts. Number one, life is not fair, life is grace. Think often, ponder often upon the grace of God in your life. And you know what? I'm talking to myself. Complain less. We should complain less. We really should. I mean, what, what right do I have to complain about anything, actually? Number two, accept with joy whatever sacrifice is asked of you. Some of us will suffer. We will. God allots suffering in different manners. Thank God if you haven't suffered very much. Thank God that you're born in this country. Thank God that you're here. And if you do suffer, thank God. Also, accept your lot. Number three, this is so cool. All who come to Christ receive heaven. Amen? That's why I'm a missionary. Because we've got this incredible power. We don't, but I hold. It's like this, this power bomb called the gospel. And I just like throw it there. Throw it here. Throw it at a guy in a coffee shop. Throw it at a guy on a plane. Throw it to a guy in France. And, and sometimes, boom, And you go, whoa, this guy just embraced Christ. Many times he don't. But you know what? It's not my problem. I just throw it. I I throw the power bomb. That's, and they get heaven. You see, they get heaven when they embrace Christ and repent. And number four, if you're here this morning and don't know Christ yet, I ask you, what are you waiting for? How could you refuse this grace? I beg you, I beg you. Consider Jesus Christ. What do you have to lose? Your sin. That's it. But you gain everything. I beg you, please, please consider Jesus Christ. Give him your sin. Come to Christ. Embrace him. And you will taste this incredible grace. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for this amazing parable. And oh God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way you touched us and saved us. Lord, we love you and motivate us. And I just pray for the missionaries here, Lord. Yeah, sometimes it's hard over there and it's discouraging. God, encourage us all and re, just re-energize us as we consider your perfect grace. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.